The scripture that uh, we are reading here today comes from the book of Jude. Uh, so if you want to turn to the book of Jude, there's only one chapter. Uh, so we're just looking at verses 17 to, through 23. Uh, and if you don't know where the book of Jude is, you need help finding it. It is all the way in the back of your Bible. So open up your Bibles uh, to the way back. If you're at the book of Revelation, just go back a few pages and you should hit the book of Jude. And it is a really small book, so small that a few years ago I was uh, leading a youth ministry and I had asked the youth, and, and I often do this when I lead a, a youth or young adult ministry, I'll just ask, what do you guys want to study? And this youth group said, well, can we talk about it this week and get back to you next week? And I said, absolutely. So get back next week, and, and they said, we, we met this week and looked over the Bible, and we really want to study the book of Jude. And I said, oh, that's awesome, because, you know, Jude is a really rich book, and, and he was so close to Jesus, and there's so many verses in there that have to, you know, and I'm given all this. And I said, why did you guys want to choose the book of Jude? And they said without missing a beat, because it's the shortest book in the Bible. Well, you guys realize once we're done with that, we're just going to another book. We're not just done with youth ministry. Oh, okay. So the book of Jude, verses 17 through 23. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some, have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Well, I've, uh, I've told you guys about the number of uh, reality shows that my wife and I have been sucked into and, and how it, it's sort of a train wreck you can't look away from. We, we enjoy the show Hoarders. We enjoy the show My Strange Addiction. We got into Survival Man with Les Stroud, and then we watched a season of him looking for Bigfoot. So if you're taking notes on TV shows that I suggest... Don't put that in your notes. Those are all odd shows. Well, one of the odd shows that we got into for a while was this TV show called Doomsday Preppers. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but the show Doomsday Preppers is about people that are concerned about the end of the world. And they're concerned that there may be an economic collapse, there may be an invasion from another country, or there may just be a civil war within their state or country. And so what they do is they prepare themselves for the doomsday by gathering as many supplies as possible and making sure that their house or their property is secure. And it's really fascinating as you go through and, and you kind of see the psychology that some people have behind their decision-making and the cameras go through and, and they maybe see their bomb shelter or, or one guy had what looked like a shed in his backyard, but then when you go in the shed, lift something up, you go down and he's got several levers, uh, levels of a bomb shelter and he's showing the food supplies that could last them for, I don't know, hundreds of years. And, and so it's really fascinating to see all that. And one thing that you'll catch in all of these people 
that are doomsday preppers, the psychology they have is when things get bad, I need to look out for myself. When things get bad, I need to batten down the hatches and make sure that me and my family will survive whatever is out there. And the reality is we tend to do this as humans. When things begin to go bad, we tend to withdraw ourselves from other people. We tend to make sure that we ourselves are protected and those that are closest to us are protected along with us. And to be fair, that, that's a, you know, a, a natural safety instinct. If I were in my house and I heard gunshots down the street, my first thought wouldn't be to bring my family outside and investigate the matter. My first thought would be call the police, get my family to safety, wait to hear if anything has been taken care of or not. So that is a natural instinct that we have. The problem is, is it's an instinct that oftentimes leaves others out of our lives. And it's an instinct that tends to lead us to a point where we're cutting off relationships with other people. And when I was watching this show, Doomsday Preppers, I started to think, do we ever act like this as a church, knowing that we're going through difficult times in the world? Do we ever, as Christians, look out at the world and say, man, things are just going so bad out there. I don't want anything to do with it. I, I just want to stay here and stay protected. Well, Jude points out that we are in the end time. And what that means from Scripture is things are getting worse. Uh, the reality that Scripture shows us is that since Jesus went to heaven, since the Holy Spirit has come and, and has given birth to the church and we are here, we're waiting for that day that Jesus returns. Well, as we're waiting for the day that Jesus returns, this is called the end times. We are waiting for the end of the story to take place. We're waiting for Jesus to come back, and while we're waiting for him, the enemy is attacking and Jude points out that in these end times, all the way back to when he was writing to his church, to this day when we're reading about it for our church, we're in the end times. And Jude warns, he says, remember what the apostles told you. Remember what the apostles preached to you, that in the end there will be mockers. Now, what does that mean? Uh, it, it's interesting, that word mocker, my first thought when I read that is sort of like, what you run into with, with childhood bullies. Remember that? If you think back to like elementary school days and you would say something, you would misspeak and then somebody would make fun of you for misspeaking. That's kind of what Jude is talking about with the end times and people that mock us as a church. But think about that, but with more devastating results. We have people outside of the church that not only don't like what we preach and teach, they will openly make fun of it and they will openly try to divide us from one another because of what we're preaching. It's been amazing in the last few weeks uh, since Roe versus Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court. It's been amazing the number of people that have come out in hatred of believers, in hatred of our stance for life. In our stance for wanting to see children born into good families and wanting to see them taken care of. These are mockers. These are scoffers. Another way of putting it is these are false teachers. These are people that come in and they say what is not true, but they say it in a way as if though it is true. We have that as a church against the world and the world has that against us. 
I don't know about you, but I have non-Christian friends. I have atheist friends. I have friends who are agnostic. I've had friends that are of different religions. And when you get into those conversations, it's incredible when you begin to share your faith how sometimes they can just shut that right down. Sometimes they can say, I don't want to hear anything about the gospel. I don't believe what you believe. This is what we've put up with. Not just in this world today, the church has actually put up with this as long as it's been alive. Since Jesus ascended into heaven, we have dealt with people that have been false teachers, that have disagreed with us, have openly made fun of us, and have battled against us in preaching the truth. This is what we deal with as a church. So how do we deal with this? Well, Jude gives us seven points that we can take away here today on what to do with those that openly mock the church in what we believe, the gospel. Uh, the first one here is Jude says to us, build yourselves up within your faith. So build yourself up in your most holy faith. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, this is sort of a... A statement of encouragement of what we're supposed to do with one another. Although we see that word yourself up there, I don't think Jude is talking about you and you alone. He's not speaking to you or me as an individual. He's speaking to us as a body of Christ. So he's saying to us as a body of Christ, what we're supposed to do with and for one another is provide encouragement within our faith. Now, what does this look like? We've talked about this from the pulpit plenty of times. What this looks like is being willing to not only share our faith with one another, but help one another in our faith. A few weeks ago, we uh, went over the passage of Doubting Thomas. Uh, so Thomas heard from the fellow disciples that, that Jesus was alive, and he said, you know, until I feel the scars in his hands or, or the wound in his side, I won't believe. Well, what are we supposed to do when somebody within our congregation is doubting or struggling within our faith? Do we mock them? Uh, do, do, we, do we shame them? Absolutely not. We offer them encouragement. We offer them a listening ear. We offer them prayer. It's actually quite amazing how relieving it can be when you can share your doubts with another Christian. Because I have found in my own Christian life, when I keep those doubts or those lack of faith moments to myself, that's when the enemy really attacks. When I'm afraid to share my doubts with another Christian, the enemy seizes that opportunity and tries to drive that doubt further into my heart. But I've noticed if I'm able to share with another Christian, this is just my struggle. This is what I'm going through. I'm having a hard time in this area of my Christian life. Just speaking to another Christian, and for that Christian to simply say, I understand. I'll be praying for you. Or maybe they have an answer. Maybe there's a question I have about the Scripture or about God that I can't answer, and I can go to another Christian. They can answer it. It's amazing what that can do for my faith. And so Jude says, as we have people outside of the church that are mocking us, making fun of our faith, when we run into those struggles, all we need to do is go to one another for that prayer and support. Go to one another to build each other up in the faith and make sure we're continuing to go after a relationship with God. The second point is pray in the Spirit. Now, this one is, is stated, I think, to be an opposite 
of what's going on in the world. Because Jude makes a point. He says the mockers that are in the world, the people that, that are trying to drive divisions within our church, they don't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't leading their spiritual life. They're leading their own spiritual life. But we have the Holy Spirit. When we become Christian, when we ask Jesus for forgiveness and ask him to come into our heart and lead us, the Holy Spirit indwells within us and tells us what is right and wrong. The Holy Spirit leads us and guides us in the right way of life. And so Jude says, as often as you can, pray in the Holy Spirit. What does this look like? Well, in some cases, what this looks like is a prayer life where you just have the exact words. And I know some of you, I've prayed with, with a lot of you, where I've listened to you pray, and it's like, that's not his words. <laughs> he doesn't talk like that. Well, what is that? Well, that's the Holy Spirit speaking. Some of you have commented on, on Pastor Mark and I when we pray. That's not us praying. That's the Holy Spirit giving us the words to pray to God. That's what it means to pray in the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit tells us, this is what you need to pray for. This is how you need to pray. These are the words that you need to give other people. And so we do that. We pray with one another through the Holy Spirit. What this can also look like is not knowing what words to say at all. As you can tell, I've been through that in my life. Do you ever have that prayer time? It looks something like this. That is prayer through the Holy Spirit. In, in Romans chapter 8, I believe it's chapter 8, uh, verse 26, where Paul says that when you pray, the Holy Spirit can even discern your moans and groans. When you moan and groan in prayer time because you don't know what to pray about, the Holy Spirit says, I know what that means. That's, that could even be the Holy Spirit providing exactly what you need in that prayer time. So when Jude says, pray in the Holy Spirit, what he means is, it's not you having to pray so that God will provide something. It's actually going to God and saying, what do I need to pray about today? And it may be moans and groans. It may be difficulty that you're going through and you don't have the words. Or it may be the exact words that you needed in that moment and you knew, this is God praying through me. That is a life of prayer. And Jude says, do that often. In fact, Paul says it in 2 Thessalonians in the last chapter. He says, pray without ceasing. Don't quench out the fire of the Holy Spirit. Make sure that you're always praying in the Holy Spirit. Because there are people outside of this congregation that don't have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. And so when we pray through the Holy Spirit, he's leading us to those people. Point number three. Keep in the love of God. Now, now this point was interesting. He, uh, Jude says, keep in the love of God. And I was trying to think, what does he really mean by this? Because we don't believe that we'll ever lose God's love. There is nothing that you or I can do where God would look at us and say, that's it, I don't love him or her anymore. No matter what we do in life, God always loves us. So what does it mean then as Christians to keep within the love of God? Well, very simply, I think what it means is live as if though God loves you. 
Remember earlier I talked about doubts and how if we don't share those doubts with one another and we don't go to each other for encouragement, the enemy will take a hold of that and just drive it into our life. Well, if we live within the love of God and we're encouraging one another, we're living as if though God loves us, we're living as if though we have nothing to fear. If you look in John chapter 4, there's a statement that John makes where he says God is love. This is a statement of God's nature. And then he goes on to say, only those that fear God's punishment don't understand God's love. And John makes the point, you only fear God's punishment if you don't realize that God truly loves you and he'll do anything for you. When I was about five or six years old, I was uh, outside playing football with my cousins. And you, you ever just get the perfect kick on a football? <laughs> no. <laughs> you ever just, uh, you know, you, you can just drop it perfect and you raise your foot up. It doesn't hurt your toe, which hardly ever happens with me. Well, I had that once when I was playing football with my cousins. And I remember just, man, it was a perfect kick. And, and you ever have that perfect kick that goes in the exact opposite direction you need it to go to? Like maybe your grandma's window in the kitchen? Well, that was my experience. And I remember it was just slow motion, just, you know, no. As I saw it going and it hit and it shattered and I heard a scream, uh, you know, because of course the whole family had to be in the kitchen at that moment. Although I was devastated that I broke my grandma's window, not once did I think that she was mad at me. Why? Because I knew that she loved me. And it was just an instinctful moment in my life where although I broke her window, caused massive damage, with a perfect kick, by the way, I knew she wasn't going to come out yelling at me because she loved me. And of course, she came running out making sure I was okay, making sure that the glass somehow didn't come out the window to hurt me. That is the love that God has for you, and that's the life that we have within the love of God. Live as if, though, whatever you do, God will love you no matter what. Now, does this mean that we can go on and sin whenever we want and do whatever we want? Absolutely not, because if we live within the love of God, why do we need to commit sin? Why do we need to stray away from him? So Jude reminds us, live as if though God loves you, which means you're not going to continue in sin, but if you ever do sin, God loves you. You don't have to fear his punishment. You can receive his forgiveness. This is very important as a Christian church because the main message we preach is the love of God. The main message we preach, and Pastor Mark preached on this last week, that, that the message we preach is that God sent his only son into the world to save us. That's how much he loved us. So that's the life that we live for others to see. We are loved by God. Point number four here is wait for God. This is probably the hardest part in our life is waiting for God's mercy to alleviate any suffering that we have going on. Now, I mentioned we've been in the end times since the church was born. Since the very first day that, that the Holy Spirit landed on the apostles and Peter went out and preached to the crowd, since those days, the church has been under suffering. The enemy has attacked us. The world has attacked us. 
And Jude's word to his congregation is, wait for God. Wait for him to come and alleviate the suffering. Wait for him to arrive and lift the pressure so that you can fully live in, in God's life, in God's love. So what does that look like for us? Well, as a church, what that means is that whenever we proclaim the truth and, and we have undue pressure, or, or maybe just pressure from the community. For example, a, a few months ago, we put up a sign, and, and the sign that we had was a statement of truth that God has created us in his image, and he's created us male and female. The phone calls Pastor Mark and I got from that was pretty amazing. But what's going on there? We're preaching the truth. We're proclaiming the truth of God. We're making sure that people know that we as a congregation love them while proclaiming that truth. We're getting pressure from the world to remove that truth so that no one can see it. And what do we do? We wait for the mercy of God to alleviate that pressure. And we're going to go through plenty more. There's going to be plenty more times that we proclaim the truth as a church. Others are not going to like it. We're going to face the consequences. What do we do with that? Do we stop proclaiming the truth? Absolutely not. We continue to proclaim the truth, and we wait for the day that Jesus returns and his truth is fully known in the world. So we wait for God to arrive. That's a difficult difficult thing to do, having that patience to know that there is an end coming. We just don't know when it is, but we have to be patient. Jesus will return. We will have a full life with God. I want to pause here because these first four points, I think, are for us as a church, what to do with and for one another. So this is what we do for and with one another. We, we continue to give each other encouragement. We continue to build each other up in the faith. We live as if though God loves us. We wait patiently for the mercy of God to come. So this is what we do as a congregation. As things are going bad out there, we come in here and we worship God. These last three points that Jude gives are, are really interesting to me because it's not for us to do for or with one another. It's actually work that we're called to do for the world. So point number six here, well, I'm sorry, point number five, have mercy on those who doubt. So it's really interesting that, that Jude uses that word mercy a second time. The first time he uses it, he says, wait for the mercy of God. Mercy is to relieve pressure. Uh, another way of putting it is mercy is uh, when you don't get what you deserve. All right, so if you are arrested for a crime that you committed and you were taken to jail or taken to prison, you deserve that punishment because you committed a crime. Mercy is when someone comes in and says, you no longer need to serve this sentence. That has been lifted. That's the mercy that God gives us in our life. We're experiencing pressure from the world for preaching the truth. This is expected. God is going to lift that one day. Well, what do we do with mercy? There are people that are out in the world, and we talked about uh, folks within this church, myself included, there are moments of doubts that we go through as Christians. Do we ever look down on a fellow Christian, or do we ever look down on somebody outside of this church for having a hard time believing or not believing? No, 
In fact, I've never understood that. What did Jude say about people outside of the church? He said they don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have God leading them in their life. How could they possibly believe what we believe if they don't have the Holy Spirit guiding them? So what do we do? Do we get mad at them? Do we get upset that they don't believe what we believe? No. We have mercy on them. We realize, oh, they don't have the Holy Spirit. God has not yet spoken to them. Or maybe God has spoken to them and they've said no to him. Do we celebrate that? Do we say, well, they're going to get what they deserve? No, because, you know, we deserve the same thing. We deserve punishment for the sin we've committed, but we've received forgiveness. So what do we do with people outside of the church that don't have God in their life? We offer them mercy. We make sure to understand they're in a position that God is not leading them. We need to be understanding of that. Now, does that mean we stop preaching the truth and just wait for God to arrive? Absolutely not. We're going to get to that point in just a moment. Instead, what we need to make sure to do is have an understanding ear to what they do believe and begin to offer ways for the Holy Spirit to speak. Uh, quite a few years ago when I was at seminary, uh, there was uh, a ministry that I was a part of in Frankfort, Kentucky, and the main ministry we did is just walk around the community. I probably walked like five miles every Sunday. And, and we would just walk and say hi to people, and we would introduce ourselves. We would tell, tell them about the ministry that we have. Well, one of the places I would always stop in is this little convenience store just down the road from the church we were at. And there was a man there named Abdullah, and he was from Bethlehem, and, and he was a Muslim. And he found out I was a Christian, and immediately we began to have talks. He didn't believe in Christianity. He didn't believe in the gospel. He didn't believe that, that Jesus rose from the dead. But I understood that the Holy Spirit was not yet with him. God had not yet spoken to him. So I would engage in conversations with him. And he would ask me questions about the Bible that I, I tried to have an answer to, but maybe it wasn't the right answer. I wasn't quite sure. But I would offer an, uh, questions to him about Islam that he wouldn't quite have the answers to. What was going on in that moment? Well, I was offering him mercy. I wasn't belittling him because he was Muslim. I was understanding that God had not yet reached him, and maybe God was going to use me to reach him so that the Holy Spirit could lead his life. This is the kind of ministry that we do, and I'll admit, it's exhausting. Does anybody here have non-Christian friends that you've tried to share the gospel with? My goodness! <laughs> You, you have the same conversations over and over, and, and you just keep thinking, God, show up, man. <laughs> this, is, this is all I know what to say to them. That's you having mercy on them, making sure that you're sharing the gospel in a way that they can understand it, making sure the Holy Spirit is leading you, not looking down on them because they don't believe. Have mercy on people outside of this church, understanding they're not in the same place we are spiritually, but they should be someday in the love of God. The sixth point here, and this goes along with the fifth point, is to offer salvation to those that mock us. So Jude uses the word, he says, save those. And, and he's quoting a passage from the Old Testament, I believe it's uh, Zechariah chapter 3, 
where uh, uh, the priest Joshua is referred to as a brand plucked from the fire or a branch plucked from the fire. And Judah's referencing that where he's saying, when you offer salvation to people outside of this church and they receive it, when, when you're offering what God has for them, it's like taking a stick out of the fire that shouldn't be there and saving it from the fire, making sure that it's not harmed in any way. This is what we're called to do in the world. Not only do we have mercy on people, understanding where they're at in, in their life with God, we're also bold and, and we're just proclaiming the truth and we don't budge from that, but we're offering the salvation that God has for them. And this is the best way to offer that salvation. Tell your own salvation story. Tell others about the time that you got saved. Because at the very least, you're not making it up, right? You, you can't get that wrong. That's your experience. It's what you went through. Down in South America, they found the church is booming among Pentecostal churches. And the reason it's booming is because the only requirement uh, to share the gospel in the community is if you've received salvation yourself. So if you're just able to testify, I have become a Christian today. I have believed today that God has forgiven me of my sins. That's all you need. And what they're finding is when people are saved by God and sent out to their friends and family, all they do is share their own story. They don't have to read the whole Bible first. They don't have to go to seminary to study anything. It's instead their own salvation story that they're sharing with other people. That's what you and I are called to do in this community. We're called to share our salvation story and simply say, this is what God has done in my life. I think he wants to do that in your life as well. In this last point here, point number seven, about showing mercy. Jude points out to show mercy, but do so with caution. He says, be careful when you do this. Hate even the garments or the clothes stained by flesh. Now, what does he mean by that? I think what Jude means by this and, and what we practice as a church is in your zeal for making sure that people within the world know the gospel, know Jesus Christ, make sure you're not putting yourself in an area of temptation that you would be drawn back into your old life. I'll give you an example. Uh, if you've had an addiction in your life, if you've had some kind of drug or alcohol addiction, you might have a zeal for reaching those who also have addictions. But should you go to the bar to preach the gospel? Probably not. Now, I'll leave that up to you and, and the Christians that are around you leading you, but the reality is, if you're a Christian and you struggle with alcohol abuse, it would not be a good idea to walk in a place that's known for alcohol abuse where you can smell alcohol where you can see your former life and try to share the gospel. Does that mean that you're not sharing the gospel with people? Not at all. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means use caution wherever you go to share the gospel. Make sure it's not going to be in a place that is going to draw you into the world or be in a place that draws you back to your former life. This is why we as Christians set up uh, standards. This is why we as Christians make sure, you know, before we go to a movie, is that movie promoting violence? Is that movie promoting nudity? 
if those are areas of sin that we struggle with, we should not go to see that movie. All right? So we as Christians are called to go into the world, offer salvation to those who need it, but we need to make sure that we're not going to put ourselves in temptation's way and be drawn back into an old life. We need to continue to live in that love of God. So those are the seven points that Jude offers us here today. And we talked earlier about those doomsday preppers, those people that batten down the hatches and, and make sure that they are safe when the world is falling apart. We don't do that as Christians. I want to tell you a story of a man who was a doomsday prepper. This was uh, John, I'm going to get his name wrong, John Badane. This was back in 2017. Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico down south. Well, uh, John Badame was a man who was a self-described doomsday prepper. For decades, him and his wife would put together emergency supplies and food supplies and put it in their bomb shelter. And by the end of it, by the time he had built that up, his wife had passed away, and he said he had enough food for 100 people for 100 days. That is an incredible amount of food if you stop to think about it. He had all of this food in his bomb shelter just waiting for the end of the world to happen so that he could enjoy it. Well, when his wife passed away, his zeal for preparing for the end started to go away. Well, then he lost some money. He wasn't able to make house payments. Pretty soon, the bank had to foreclose on his house. And so there he was trying to figure out, what do I do with all of these supplies that for decades I've been storing so that I can save myself when the end of the world comes? Well, it turns out he met this lady whose name was, excuse me for a moment, Victoria Martinez. Uh, and she was running a food truck in the area. And when he met her, he started to get to know her and found out that all of the money she was making for her, her food truck was going down to Puerto Rico for her family after they experienced the hurricane. And she told him about how her family was in need down there. So she was trying to send money, try to send supplies, but she just wasn't sending enough for their family and community. And Joseph thought about it and he says... Do they need survival supplies down in Puerto Rico? She said, absolutely. He said, do they need food down in Puerto Rico? He said, absolutely. And he said, I think I might have enough for your family. And he went and arranged with her to send all of his doomsday supplies that he had stored for himself down to her family so that they could be safe while they were getting the community back in order after the hurricane. This is what we do as Christians. We don't batten down the hatches. We take care of one another. We continue to offer encouragement. We live in the love of God. We listen to one another. We pray for one another. But in a few minutes, after we sing our last song, after we give our last announcement, after we shake some hands in the lobby and steal a little bit of coffee that's left, we're going to go out in the world, and we're going to have roughly six and a half days with people that don't believe what we believe. And we have two options when we go out there. We can live secluded. We can go out in the world and just keep our head down, not worrying about what people think of us, just waiting for that next Sunday. Or we can live in a way that has mercy on those that don't believe. We can live in a way that shares the gospel so that others who have never received the Holy Spirit can receive what you and I have 
and be able to come and be a part of the beloved, part of God's family. That's what we're called to do as a church. We come in and support one another. We leave this place and reach other people. Let's pray. God, we thank you for what you've called us to do. We thank you for, uh, first of all, just the opportunity to come into this church and pray with one another and worship with one another. We thank you for the time that we have building each other up in the faith and, and, and praying with one another. Lord, we pray that you use this time of ministering to one another to prepare us to go into the world and reach those who are lost. God, I, I pray that uh, we would have, each and every one of us, at least one opportunity this week to share the gospel. Lord, give us an opportunity to share our salvation story. Give us an opportunity to preach your word. Give us an opportunity to reach the lost. We pray this in your name. Amen.